hello to all of the Freedom Center campuses, uh, Linden, Grand Blanc, Pontotoc. Uh, grateful to be with you guys and bring this message to you. I, I hope it brings strength and encouragement to your communities. So, um, you know, it's interesting. I'm not actually originally from Michigan. Um, I was born and raised in Philadelphia. And one of the things that's really interesting about uh, moving to a different place is that, uh, you know, you, you, there's a culture shock. You know, you, you have this uh, idea that they're going to have the bread that you like and the, you know, places that you love to go and find comfort, but that doesn't really exist there. And then the things that are important to, you know, the people that you move to the place um, they're, they're not important to you, or the things that are important to you aren't important to them. So it's, it's a really interesting dynamic when you relocate to a completely different place. Like, you know, take moving here, uh, you know, college football's huge here, so Michigan, RIP. Uh, Ohio State, you know, Michigan State, all of that. Like, you guys really love your college football. And I think that's great. You know, I understand it because I love football where, you know, I'm a professional, you know, my blood runs Eagles green, but, you know, I, I get that. But one of the things that I do find fascinating here is hunting. You know, not fascinating enough to actually do it, but, you know, but fascinating enough to have friends that do it and kind of talk to them, you know, where I grew up. Guns were really used for two things, committing crimes or stopping people from committing crimes. Like, that was really it. But here, there's, you know, these different uses, and it's, you know, deer and turkeys and pheasant and all this other stuff that, you know, that you guys shoot. And, you know, it's like, oh, that, that's a big gun. Oh, it comes in pink. Wow. You know, like, that's such an interesting thing. And so, you know, I, I got this right here. Um, this, this is a crossbow. <laughs> and, it, you know, I, I talked to a couple of friends who are hunters and, you know, because I know nothing about hunting. Um, and a lot of them kind of shared some interesting stuff with me. You know, they, they, they take this meticulous time to find their gear and then they take hundreds, if not thousands of shots uh, for the three or four that they may take during hunting season. You know, they, they line up their sights, they, they try to hit the mark. And, I, and so I asked them like, okay, you're, you're in your blind or you're doing whatever you're doing. I don't know these terms, you know, <laughs> but you're, you're doing whatever you're doing. And you know, you see, you see that animal, you see that deer, you see that turkey, you see that whatever and you take your shot, you know, what happens if you miss? What happens if you miss the mark? And, you know, they talked about kind of the anxiety of, you know, completely missing or just the, in some ways, sadness of hitting an animal but not in the mark because you want them to die humanely or, you know, whatever. And, and so, um, you know, it's, it's interesting to kind of think about that whole that is the target. It's the mark. And one of the, one of the most used words for sin in the New Testament is the word hamartia. 
And that word hamartia means to miss the mark. And when, we, when I think about this topic of sin and salvation, you know, hunting was one of the first things that came to mind because nobody is trying to miss the mark. And when I asked, like, have you ever purposefully tried to miss the mark? It was almost a, why would you even ask that, <laughs> that question, you know? Because nobody wants to do that on purpose. They may do it by accident, but nobody wants to do that on purpose. And so that word for sin, that missing the mark, um, it, it's a very uh, visual picture of what sin actually is for us. Here is the target. This is what we're aiming for. And it's not here. It's not here. This is the goal. That's the mark. And when we think about sin, a lot of times we, we compartmentalize it to action. This is what we do. And I want to try to stay away from that thing that I deem bad or that I think God deems bad. But sin is a lot more than that. Sin isn't just what we do. It's also what we don't do. So it's not just God doesn't want me to do this and I did it. There's also things God wants us to do that we don't do. And then sin isn't just about action. It's about people. So you and I, apart from Christ, we were literally in sin. We were separate from him. That was our state. That was our position. And not just that, I know, <laughs> not just that, but there's not just what we don't do and what we do and the state that we're in. There's also the systems of this world, the things that sinful people, the things that sin puts its hands to that cause things like oppression, that cause things like injustice, that cause things that would, that would lower people down and devalue who God designed them to be. So sin is much more than just, ah, I made a mistake, you know, or a struggle or however else we would try to downplay them. Sin is literally missing the mark in these different areas of life and these different ways of life. So what's the mark? What's the mark that we're talking about? And in order to do that, you're gonna to have to go all the way back to the garden. So Genesis chapter three, everything, we're like 17 seconds away for, uh, from creation here, you know. Um, Adam and Eve are fresh. God has, has made this beautiful creation, you know, like, it's, it's, it's good, sun, moon, stars, good, earth, good, water, good, animals, good, humanity, very good. And then God rests. And here's where we catch it. Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Now the serpent, serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said... You shall not eat from any tree of the garden. The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the tree of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. 
The serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die, for God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. And she gave also to her husband with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. And he said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to me, she gave me from the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. And what we see there is this introduction. God had a mark. Don't do this. There was an expectation. And see, up until that point, everything that God had ever wanted to have happened, happened. So sin is the introduction for the first time, not in human history, in divine history, human history, like I said, was like 17 seconds. In divine history, eternity past, sin is the first time, it's the introduction for the first time in divine history that something contrary to what God wanted had happened. That had never existed. Sun, moon, sky, boom, happened. Earth happened. Animals happen, light, darkness happen, humanity happen. This was the first time ever, ever for the triune God that his will did not happen. And that's sin. It's simply what God doesn't want to have happen. And when perfection, when, when, when what was the design for this creation Creation was designed for a specific purpose in a specific way. And when that shifted, you were not designed for sin. You were not designed to miss the mark. And that's where we see so many of the issues that we have today. Romans chapter 5, verse 12 and 13. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world... And death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. And, and what that means is that the law showed that there were right and wrong things. Don't eat from that tree showed that there were right and wrong things. And humanity entered in and chose a wrong thing, and therefore gave this wrong thing license to corrupt the design. You were not designed for sin. You, as a creation of God, were not designed to do something contrary to what God wants. 
Doesn't that make sense with the issues that we see today? I think it does. You weren't designed for this. You weren't designed for death. You weren't designed for separation from God. And yet that's what we see, that contrary thing that we talked about, that, that, that was introduced, that contrary thing brought the ability to be separated from everything that God has for you and everything that God has for you to do and from God himself, which again, you were never designed to be. Now, I know what you're maybe thinking in this. God doesn't expect us to be perfect. So I understand that. So let's Let's talk about reality versus expectation, okay? Um, the reality, like God's not stupid, <laughs> you know? God understands that you are going to choose something different from Him. That there will be moments where temptation um, rears its head and you make the choice to entertain that temptation. You make the choice to entertain what, it, what is in front of you that you know you shouldn't do or that you, like, yes, he understands that. But please make no mistake, while God understands the reality of sin, God does not expect you and I to sin, particularly when we're believers. God doesn't expect that. He expects you and I to obey and I, I know that obey is kind of like four letter word these days. You know, nobody really wants to talk about it. But we have to talk about it. Because when we talk about obedience, we actually talk about loving God. So what you guys are seeing now, it's a picture of my family. So that was us at a, a tree farm. We cut down a, a Christmas tree this year for the first time ever. It was super cool. It is my job. As, as dad, as husband, to learn how each one of those people are loved. My, my daughter, Micaiah, receives love in a much different way than my son, Trey. My daughter, Cora, receives love in a much different way than, uh, than my son, Declan. Uh, Muriel, I don't know, she's like two months. We're give her a bottle and she loves. <laughs> um, and Faye, you know, it's been 15 years of learning how to love this beautiful creation that's in front of me. And that shifts and that change. And just when you think you have one phase figured out, there's another phase, you know. Um, and that's not just in marriage, that's with kids. And so I need to not love them on the terms that feels good to me. I need to love them on the terms that they receive love. That, that is my job as, as father. Your job as son and daughter of God is to love God on the terms that God receives love. John 14, chapter, or John chapter 14, verse 15, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If you love God, you'll obey him. That's that's love to God. If you love me, do what I say. Perfection is telling you and I what to do. And when we don't do that, loving God equals obedience to God. That's what that means. I have to love God on his terms. And so if I don't do that, 
when sin occurs, it is the reality of separation from God and the love for something other than him. I, I know, like I, I know this is a uh, thing. When you and I sin, we are saying that that thing, whether in that moment or as a habit, we love it more than we love God. And that separation continues. That separation is hard. Now, as a believer, and we'll get into this, as a believer, there's, um, there's no penalty for that. But there is consequences to that. Your sin costs. Your sin will always cost. Your, your sin, my sin, the things that we do that are unbecoming of God, they will cost. Now, you and I, we don't, we don't do things, we don't live moral lives in order to be in right standing with God. We already are because of what Jesus did, and we'll get into that in a minute. We do moral things. We do what God wants us to do because we are saved. But what sin does, both in position and uh, in action, is it brings a separation that, again, you were never designed to have. You're an image bearer. Colossians chapter 1, you're an image bearer of God. You, you are an image bearer of Him. He created you in that way. And sin does and, and, and creates what was never designed to be. So that's all, that's bad news. It's bad news. Being separate from God, not doing what God asks, perfection, the design being corrupted is bad news. How about some good news? It's a gospel joke because the gospel means good news? No? Okay. <laughs> so I'm going to open with a statistic that is bad news, but I'm going to put it in perspective, okay? So a majority of Americans who describe themselves as Christians, 52%, also accept a works-oriented means of God's acceptance. And my face, you know, you'll see the picture down below. That was my face to that. Like, what? <laughs> How is that? That's an interesting thing to think about, that people believe that I'm a good person, therefore I'm in good standing with God. I'm a good person, so I'll be to heaven. I'm not Hitler, you know? I'm not Jeffrey Dahmer. I'm not even the guy down the street or the, the woman down the street that cheated on their spouse. I'm a generally good person. Sure, I do this. Sure, I do that. I'm a good person. You see, while we are the subject of sin and death, God is the subject of salvation and victory. You cannot earn salvation. Nothing that you do can earn salvation. Your good works, your, your things that you think will, will, will put you in a good state and a good standing in heaven without the consideration of Jesus, they don't mean anything. They don't mean a thing towards salvation. They mean wonderful things after salvation. But you, your good works don't mean anything. And I know that like, you know, in a, in a Western culture, we tend to have a more earning mentality. I'm an 
earn this. I'm going to do the work. I'm going to what? The work has been done. Christ has the victory. You had no part in that. And to be honest, I'm not sure we want to have a part in that. Because what the law did, the Ten Commandments and what Jesus and what God introduced, the 600 other laws throughout the Old Testament, what that did was show that you and I are not capable of the proper actions to bring salvation. We're not capable of the standard of behavior to be in right relationship with God. We're not capable of that. And so the perfect one, the spotless lamb, Jesus lived this life, died, overcame hell and death and the grave so that he could bring victory to you and I, something that we are not capable of. There is no good work that we could accomplish that could bring us to right standing with the Father. But the good news is that Jesus did the work to bring us in right standing with the Father. Romans chapter 8, verse 1 through 4, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. You were not capable. You were not capable of it. So God did the work. So Jesus did the work. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 through 9. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved, we all know this one, through faith, and that not of yourself, it is the gift of God. It wasn't you. It wasn't you. I'm a good person. I'm a good, that does nothing to breach the separation between you and God. Jesus did the work. Colossians chapter 1. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. 
Through him I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. If indeed you continue in the faith firmly, established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, was made a minister. It's a beautiful passage, a beautiful passage of who Jesus is and what Jesus did that you and I are not capable of. Hebrews chapter 4, I'm going to keep rolling with this. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. For assuredly, he does not give help to angels, but he gives help to the descendants of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Jesus became this. He became this so that he could understand, so that he could see, so that he could conquer more effectively, because you and I couldn't. And the last one, 1 John 1, 5-9, This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him, and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we come to him, he does it. We come to him. He does it. That's the pattern here. I read all of those verses to you because I want you to understand that what mankind set in motion, what mankind set in motion, God corrected. You were not capable of correcting it. You still are not capable of correcting it. It has been corrected for you. You take that free gift and you live from it. You don't try to work your actions to it because it's our actions that put us in this spot in the first place. I go back to that garden and I think, man, all they really wanted was to be like their dad. That's all they really wanted. They wanted to be like God, innocent and beautiful in its desire, but the way that they went about it was contrary to what God wanted. He said, oh, that's not a good, that's not a big deal. It doesn't seem like a big deal. It's a huge deal because it was different than God, what God wanted. And that introduced imperfection in a world in nothing but perfection. See, it's not like how it is now, right? Like we live and exist 
in systems of sin. We live in a sinful world, in a world that, that groans for, for Jesus' return. That's not how it was then. Perfection was the only system. God's will was the only system. And humanity chose apart from that and corrupted the design, separated us from the Father, which again, you and I were never designed to do, made missing the mark the norm. And I read all of those verses to help you and I understand there's nothing we can do to breach that gap. There's nothing we can do to gain that victory. But again, it's so great that Jesus did the work. Jesus did the work. And we have the victory over sin and death and hell in the grave because of what he did. Jesus hit the mark because we could not. It's, it's really that simple. You know, he hit the mark because we couldn't. Salvation is the victory that Jesus has over sin and death in order to pave the way for us to be with the Father in heaven. What salvation did and what salvation does is it gives us that chance. If we accept it, we accept that free gift, it gives us a chance to remove the corruption from the design. See, that Romans chapter 8 passage, there is now no condemnation. I used to always think that that meant guilt, but that doesn't mean guilt. It actually means penalty. There's no penalty in Christ. There's no penalty in Christ. Not no guilt. You and I should feel some level of contrition. Well, not some level. We should feel contrite you know, when we do something unbecoming of the Father, when we sin. But there's no penalty in that. It's been paid. It's done. There's victory now. There's victory in Christ. There's the separation when you're not, when you're a believer, the separation that would once be because of sin, it doesn't exist anymore. Now, we don't use grace as a license for sin, Jude, okay? But grace is there for, again, the reality that God knows of when we choose to sin. But the expectation is that we'll love Him enough to obey. I'd, I'd be foolish if I didn't give an opportunity to come to that well of salvation. Um, I think of Joshua chapter 24, verse 14. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth and put away the gods which your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. If it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourself today whom you will serve whether the gods which your fathers served, which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. See, Joshua gives this whole history of what happened to the Israelites from Egypt to the wilderness to where they were at that point. And he says, serve God. But if that's not agreeable to you, just choose something. Choose something to serve. And I know that's so many people's issue today. Buddhism, Catholicism, Hinduism, 
atheism, what, how do you know that you have the right way? And I, I go to this uh, quote by a theologian, Dr. Matthew Crossman. What it is to be human is to be someone set under lordship, either of sin and evil or of grace and of God and of love. You're designed for lordship either way. You're going to serve something. Joshua chose the Lord. Sin separated us from God. It corrupted the design. You were designed by God, humanity designed by God for a specific purpose. And, what, and when God and what didn't, wasn't supposed to happen happened, it corrupted that design. And the corruption in the design was rectified, was changed, was eliminated by the life, death, burial, rising again of Jesus. Choose who you'll serve this day. He did that for you because of his great love for you. His love for the Father who loved you. And this beautiful act was done so that separation would become bond, so that sin and death would become salvation and victory. And that's for you. Thank you guys for listening. Um, pray that this is a great time for you, a great conversation afterwards.